What is the alt-right? Everybody has an opinion about it, but nobody seems to know exactly what it is. So I took it upon myself to find out. I took a deep dive into alt-right culture. I read their books, listened to their podcasts, watched their videos, followed their blogs, and spoke personally to their leaders. Here's what I learned. First, they're really small, like your high school reunion small. That big national alt-right gathering in Charlottesville in August 2017, yeah, that attracted all of about 600 people. And that's on the high end of estimates. And that infamous torch rally on the evening of August 11th, there were maybe 100 tiki torch carriers. But however small it is, the alt-right does have a belief system, a worldview. It's right there in their name. The alt in alt-right means alternative. The alt-right is an alternative to American conservatism. Put simply, the alt-right has three core beliefs the promotion of white identity politics, the rejection of God, and the subordination of the individual to the collective. In other words, the alt-right has nothing in common with conservatism and is in fact much closer to leftism. Except, of course, that the left is much, much larger. I'm Michael Knowles, host of The Michael Knowles Show for Prager University. What kind of shit is that? Welcome to Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Welcome back, welcome back everyone to Profane Faith. As always, this is your boy, Dan White Hodge. And you know, man, stuff is just continues to happen. Um, well, you know, one of the articles I think that popped up that really caught my attention, um, uh, at least for this week, uh, was on an NBC news feed. Um, and I tweeted about this. Um, and so, you know, you follow me on Twitter, you know, I talked about this a little bit and then it also went to my Facebook page, but, uh, you know, the title was judge removes the fatal shooting of a black man from ex Tulsa police officers record. Um, of course we know, you know, in the September 16th image, Uh, this police officer shot Terrence Crutcher uh, with his arms up uh, as he's pursued by police officers, you know, walking next to a stalled SUV. Uh, Of course, you know, his car was breaking down and the police showed up. Um, The helicopter that was circling this brother was like, oh man, that's a bad dude. You know what I mean? So this, this was another one of those cases, right? Where um, a black man was killed unarmed, uh, they said he was going for a gun. He reached it, you know, and I think, well, it's a couple, there's a couple of things with this, right? I mean, one, you wonder why people are protesting. One, you wonder why people are taking a knee. Two, three, you wonder why black folk are so upset about how this continues to happen in our communities, um, in the people with seeing people that look like us get taken down like this. And so, 
I am continually frustrated. And I know that's what Baldwin talked about, right? Baldwin talked about, you know, to be conscious, to be woke, to be whatever is, you know, is to be constantly in a state of frustration. And that's, and that's really where I feel my being, my presence at. And, you know, and I, you know, I can hear some religious folks, well, you just got to give it over to God. You just got to give, look, man, look at the bottom line is, is this, Absolutely. God is is in control of things. God is in control um, of a lot. And then you wonder a theological conundrum. OK, so then where then do we see these things coming? Where that's where does you see that control? Right. Um, how much has God put us in charge of doing things and and taking care of issues like this? Um, because this, you know, this isn't God. This is. A, this is somebody, this is a white police officer that shot a black man unarmed and then goes on to say, um, you know, I didn't want that smear on, on my record. Like, like for real? I mean, me seriously, think about that for a minute. Like we don't want, so Crutcher was just a smear. I mean, you got to think about that for a second. I mean, Cause that kind of stuff right there, that will, that's the type of discourse. And I'm sure this person, this woman, I haven't done much research on her. So, but, but I, so I'm making some assumptions. I, I own that right now, but I'm, I, I wouldn't, I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if this woman went to church, Christian, evangelical, right? And these are the kind of conversations. These are the continued issues that a lot of people of color have. And especially this younger generation. And when I say younger, I say those under 21 are questioning, like, wait a minute, if this is the Christian faith, why in the hell would we even want to be a part of it? Why would we even want to engage with anything that has anything to do <laughs> with this? Of course, we know it's not, but oftentimes there is a standardized Christian theology that gets put out. We all know what that's about. It's about white supremacy. And this is the result. This is part. This is one of the results of it. And this stuff just pisses me off. I mean, I mean, look, District Judge William LaFortune also ordered all documents involving former, former Tulsa police officer Betty Jo Shelby case sealed and kept with the court the court the case will only be accessible through a court order and can be destroyed after 10 years according to state law excluding government and law enforcement which would uh which would have access to the record because shelby would uh likely disclose it uh on job applications agencies won't be able to find the case in a background search said shelby's defense attorney shannon mccurry mcmurray I mean, really? I mean, this is this is this is the world that we're living in. This is the place that we're living in. And I mean, I mean, I think you got to really, really sit with that and think through that. And those of you who listen to this podcast, I imagine, you know, you you have some empathy for for something like this. Um, you know, if, if, you, if you're this far into episodes, I imagine you and you're somebody who uh, <laughs> is 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 understandable of this stuff and so if you're white and you're listening to this i just i mean i just gotta ask like what how then do we go about engaging this right i mean okay well let me put this in a different way so my wife posted something uh well actually she was responding to one of her family members on facebook um 
it was a post about how the alt-right um, is actually closer to the left and they're actually much more liberal than, uh, you know, traditional conservatism. And so I, and, and my wife was just like, wow, like you're going to associate the alt-right and with the entire liberal agenda, right? And so they went in on it. It was this video about this dude. I mean, it was a very simplistic video done at a probably about a sixth or seventh grade level. Um, very, very simplistic, minimalist, you know, take towards the um, the alt-right. Um, and so my wife was just like, you know, I, I lean left. And because and one of the arguments was that, right, that, that left, the left is godless. There is no God. There is no Jesus. There is no theology whatsoever in people who subscribe to the left. And so... Oh, um, my wife was like, look, I lean left and, uh, I am a Christian, you know? And then like, you know, one of the family members responded and was just like, well, but you know, this, this explains it clearly and blah, 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 blah. And if you have a problem, you really have a problem with your, with your own organization, right? Like total, like flip the, you know, the conversation, like rather than dealing with it, right. This whole gaslighting technique, right. He also said, my wife is like, um, excuse me and i'm just like all right look babe you know <laughs> look this is a fool but that's one of the lies that it's it's a simplistic lie that i feel like the far right and you know places like fox news have created that people who lean left are godless they have no intent to serve god they are baby killers right they have allowed the homosexual agenda to come in and just take over everything and now we have these problems and thank god we have somebody like trump to come in and set everything straight wow but these are the ideological structures that are out there the alt-left is much more complex you know and they're trying to downplay and saying the alt-left is small and the people who showed up charlottesville were small and everything look bruh do you really even understand what was happening in charlottesville that this was a mock-up for a race war that this these were folks who have been sitting and that are sitting with you they are close to this i mean and so and this ties also back to this understanding of christianity can only be seen through a conservative lens and here's the thing all right so i don't have a problem with with those who, who say oh, look man i'm just a little bit more conservative i i you know i i i i like the conservative values that's great if we could leave it at that I think we'd be all right, but we don't, we don't, we, we take it to the next level, right? And, or particularly those who are on the right, they take it to the next level and say, this is the only way, right? To worship. I got a problem with that. I got a problem with somebody telling me that this is the right way to think about God. This is the right way to theologize about God. And this connects right back to this woman who is, who killed Crutcher, right? And gets her case just wiped clean, just wiped clean. Don't worry about it. This is a smear. No more longer a smear. You just killed another nigga, another nigga dead, but that's okay. I mean, and Tupac even talks about that, right? Right? Kills a nigga, he's a hero. I don't know, y'all. I don't know. I'm frustrated. I'm real frustrated. And I struggle thinking about the the lilies and the daisies, right? This This notion of reconciliation and this notion of trying to you know, oh, let's come together and love one another. When at the very heart of this environment, I am not valued. My life isn't valued. My life isn't worth anything. I am just another smear on somebody's record that they need to get off. So what do you do with that? Do you reconcile with that? 
which by the way, reconciliation, at least the way we have put it up over the last 15, 20 years is complete BS, complete. It serves a white supremacist agenda. It serves a way for lifting up white people and keeping blacks and browns down. It does not even come close to what the Bible talks about, what the, what our sacred scriptures talk about, right? And in, in engaging with the truth, the realities, the justices, the injustices, and even what Jesus was doing. Because think about this. Those of you who kind of curl in your eyes like, oh my gosh, he said reconciliation. Be yes, I did say that. And I don't I didn't stutter. Um, but think about this. Did Jesus go and reconcile with the Pharisees and Sadducees? Yeah, think about that. Did Jesus show up? to the king Herod and be like, Hey, Hey, we got to reconcile. You killed all them babies, but, um, we need to sit down and love each other. Yo. So I'm just saying we, we got some things to contend with on this today's episode. I mean, let me, let me get off my rant. I'm just frustrated. Y'all I'm just real frustrated. And this, this stuff, and, and it's moving beyond frustrating and like rage. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out what to do with that. I'm genuinely trying to figure out what to do with that. So I'm excited about this episode. I got my boy Josiah Daniels uh, on this show. Um, and we we went in. <laughs> we had a straight-up conversation on race, God, the NFL, Trump, kneeling, all of that mess. We talk about Brueggemann, Kelly Brown, Douglas, Jurgen Moltman. I mean, we go in. We go in. This is an exciting conversation. Um and I, I won't hold you anymore. I know, you know, I, I'm, I, I know I can rant. And I got a, I got an episode that I'm working on right now, you know, dealing with uh, reconciliation and just how I feel it's so BS, at least the way it's constructed in many churches today. So stay tuned for that. This is Profane Faith. Stay tuned for that. And we'll, you know, I'll have that on there. Um, But yeah, my boy, Josiah Daniels, he actually is dating Rediette Mulungeta, uh, who I had on the show, I think it's episode two, three, one of those. <laughs> you can go back in the archives, uh, whitehodgepodcast.com. And, and again, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Uh, we're on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, SoundCloud. If you haven't gone to whitehodgepodcast.com, there's other stuff there. It's not just Profane Faith. There's other material there. So you want to check some of that stuff out, that'd be great. Um, if you haven't referred a friend, please refer a friend. And please rate us. Please rate us on Facebook and on iTunes. That would be great. It's kind of the currency. I keep saying that, but it's currency of podcasting. So, uh, And thank you for listening. We really do. I appreciate the comments, the feedback, the texts. It's been great. So thank you guys um, for doing that. Um, so in this conversation, a couple of things to know, a couple caveats. Um, this is the, uh, well, I, I have two versions. It's going to be an edited version. There's going to be a non-edited version. But, you know, there is some strong language being used. Um, I did edit out a lot of the the major offensive terms that were there. You'll hear that in this episode um, as well. I try to go through and really kind of scrub it and, and <laughs> you know, at least get rid of the F-bombs and um, and whatnot. So, and we're really using strong language. I don't want to frame this in the, in the language of cursing uh, i kind of want to help help us think through that of, of what a strong language look like compared to cursing because i do believe uh somebody like trump is cursing every day and he doesn't use four-letter words all the time so i want us to begin to understand this you know particularly being a rhetorician somebody who studies communication theory i think we have to understand what language means and how that connects with that and so this is a strong language episode so if you do if you have small kids you probably want to you know listen to this episode a little later um when they're away 
or have the conversation with them about what strong language is. So I have muted it out. If you're listening to this on iTunes, I have muted it out. If you want the unedited version, I'll have that on SoundCloud. Um, so you can go check it, take it, take, uh, take a look there uh, on that. But uh, I think this is a great conversation in regards to just where we're at. Here's a an emerging theological voice, a scholar who is wrestling with a lot. And it's important that we talk in, in like in my tradition, we say la lengua franca and that we can talk in this, this openness. And so this is a great conversation. I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Um, and so without any further ado, here's my man, Josiah Daniels. Thanks y'all. Welcome back folks to profane faith, uh, man, you know, I'm, I'm assuming if you're listening you are interested because we're we're into some episodes now. So if you listening to this, you are you are into it. Um, your host Daniel White Hodge and I am here with a good friend of mine. I have a lot of good friends of mine on the show, Josiah Daniels. Yes. Josiah, welcome, yes. man. Thank you. Oh yes, profane brother. faith. Let's get it. That's right. That's right. Um, well, I mean, I think just as I ask everybody who comes through here, man, um, what is your faith journey? How did you get to where you are? right now what's your what's your ethnic background all yeah. of that good demographic stuff yeah absolutely so uh i'm 26 years old i come from a pretty big family i got uh two brothers and a sister i'm the oldest i'm the prime all right all right um but my parents uh my dad's black my mom's white okay and we've been christians for a whole entire lives my parents have been in ministry for my whole entire life um and yeah, I mean, you know, so the way that I always describe it to people when they ask me, you know, about my faith, uh, specifically, my parents have played an integral part in my faith. They're some of the most uh, dedicated people that I know, mm -hmm. um, dedicated to the church, dedicated to us. Um, but yes, so I mean, I've been bred yeah. into Christianity. Mm -hmm. uh, the way that I like to put it to people is I've been, you know, going to church 26 years, hard time, no parole. I mean, <laughs> yes. so, yes, um, sir. So yeah, but <laughs> primarily, you know, this is the thing. Uh, my parents got married in 88. Okay. They met at a small Christian college, Lincoln Christian College. Don't know if you no, heard of that. No, I've never heard of that one. All right. Um, <laughs> that's that's down in southern Illinois, in Lincoln, uh, Illinois. Okay. All uh, right. And so they met there. My dad, like I said, is a black guy. My mom's white. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they got married. Yeah. And they were called into ministry. Yeah going to churches really in earnest and churches just kept saying to them we can't hire you not because we don't like you but because our congregation is not ready for an interracial couple wow and so they moved to canada oh man so that they could be in ministry out there i was born there i was born in calgary okay and then a few years later back in the 90s we moved back and my parents started working at a church mm -hmm. in Illinois mm -hmm. and we've primarily been involved with non-denominational churches for our whole entire lives um okay. so you know non-denominational evangelical yeah also kind of part of the Stone Campbell movement instrumental mm -hmm. um 
you know, and mostly more conservative. Okay. And so, yeah, I mean, I remember growing up in church here in the United States and, you know, uh, feeling as though there was something different about me and not always being able to put my finger on it. Mm -hmm. And I am a, a, a pretty aggressive person. And so <laughs> in times when I would maybe feel excluded for some reason, mm-hmm. whether it's because I was the pastor kid or whether it was because of, you know, feeling as though maybe it had something to do with who my parents were. Yeah. I mean, uh, I would get pretty pissed, uh, okay. pretty angry. Yeah. Um, and that cycle kind of played itself out throughout my time in church. So, you know, we were in, Il- in Illinois for a while we eventually moved to Indiana, mm. and we uh, were in a pretty bad church situation for about seven years. Took oh, a man. huge toll on my family, and then this was kind of when I started to have some questions, not just about my own personal faith, mm-hmm. but I think just about the way the world worked, and mm. specifically questions of evil uh questions of justice and that primarily happened just because of the way that i saw the church treating my parents and what i mean by that is you know there is this mentality i think with congregations that the pastor is there to serve you And Mm -hmm. that can definitely take a huge toll. I mean, you know, my dad would be out late at meetings, um, be stressed out because of things that would be happening. And there was no encouragement to really do like self-care. Yeah. Yeah. And that just annoyed me to no end. I saw a lot of hypocrisy in the church. I mean, people cheating on their wives. And I specifically am saying people cheating on their wives because it was mostly you know misogynistic chauvinist men who okay were, yeah you know yeah dicking around but so <laughs> yep um yep. so that really wore me too mm-hmm. and uh i just got to a point probably about the time that i was 10 years old where i was just kind of like there might be a god but i don't give a <laughs> so you know and i wouldn't obviously i wouldn't have said it like that that but you know i was i was pretty self-destructive for for being a 10 year old you know hmm. going places where i shouldn't have been hanging out with people who were at 10 three four years older than me okay um, and yeah i mean you know it was it was a way that i was acting out uh because i was see i was uh, i was interpreting the hurt that my family was dealing with yeah as, as being uh connected to church projecting that on God, projecting that on, on uh, a lot of different people. And, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I was just very disobedient, uh, getting into fights, Mm, um, you know, doing things that I shouldn't have been doing. And it probably wasn't until, uh, I was about 13 and, um, I, I had, my parents had taken us out of the youth group at our own church, which was pretty controversial because they wanted us to have like a safe space for us to figure out our faith. And, All right. you know, um, 
And I started going to a Lutheran church, their youth group, and it really just changed my life. Okay. Uh, people were very genuine. Um, they were very kind, very intentional. Yeah. And I kind of started to rethink some of my questions about my faith. Hmm. And then uh, about a year later, we ended up moving back to Illinois. And I got really involved with the church that my parents are currently at. And the youth minister and his wife... Uh, Rick and Mindy really discipled us hmm. and started to, you know, encourage us to read our Bible. But then beyond that, they encouraged us if we saw something in the world that we thought was wrong, okay. then we'd better, you know, do something about right. it. Um, right. Rick and Mindy were some of the most intense people that I'd ever met. Um, and, you know, they just really started to get me to ask questions about the like materiality of our existence mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and how that relates to our faith. And oh, so faith no longer was this, um, you know, faith for me was no longer this, uh, private hypocritic, like hi private hypocritical thing, but it yeah. was a very, you know, material thing where things need to be done, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, they really changed my life. And, uh, you know, I started to take my faith way more seriously. Mm. And, you know, went to Bible college, did all that, sh uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, went to seminary, did all that. Um, now, undergrad as well? You went to a, a, a mm -hmm. Christian... Yeah, I went to Cornerstone University. What? Oh, yeah. I didn't and know just, that, man. You Out can, in Michigan, right? Yeah, uh, Grand Rapids. Oh, rap. You can just <laughs> just look up that cesspool. I mean, that's just... Oh, it is a... You know, there are great people at Cornerstone. Sure, and, yeah, of course, uh, of course. You know, there were people there that actually changed my life, and... You know, I think when I was when I was 18, 19 years old, I was in the mindset of, you know, I'm I'm going to just uh, be like an activist. And, you know, there's no time for thinking we got to change. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't even think I was going to go to college. I got a 19 on the ACT. So, I mean, low score. Uh, I was like, you know, I'm going to just go and, like, live in a bus and travel around like yeah, an yeah. itinerant preacher. <laughs> and <laughs> Right, you know. right. But Cornerstone accepted me, and I got there, and I took a philosophy class with Matt Bonzo. Okay. And he's this... Uh, you know, farmer philosopher guy, the the best way to describe him now. And I didn't really know, know it then, but mm -hmm. the best way to describe him is he is the, he is, uh, a Bruce Springsteen of philosophy. Uh -huh. So in the sense of right. like, he is one of the people that I can say as a, even a white dude, he is down with struggle. Okay. Like that dude knows. Some yeah. 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 So, <laughs> I took a philosophy class with him, intro to philosophy, just, you mm. know, a little dinky little course. And I got a C minus in it. I mean, oh. I barely passed okay. that class. Okay, all right, all right. But I loved it. I loved it to death. I thought it was the most interesting thing. Yeah. So I was like, I think I was 19 years old. I thought it was the most interesting thing. And he, even though he gave me a, a, a poor grade, he really took a liking to me. 
that's what's and up. was really intentional with me and said, you know, you need to take more upper level classes, you know, with us. So I ended up getting a philosophy minor. And I mean, it just changed my life. I started reading, and he was really big into liberation theology because oh. he did his dissertation on Jurgen Moltmann. Oh man! So you know, th- I so I get my minor in philosophy, but yeah. my actual degree at Cornerstone is in Bible and theology. Oh yeah, but BBS. never, never a single time in my Bible and theology courses did we read Jurgen Moltmann. Get out or James. Get Cone, out! Come on. Or, but in my philosophy classes, yeah. Bonzo was really intentional about bringing Cornell West in. Really intentional wow. about we we were twenty twenty one years old, and he was having us uh, read these summaries yeah. from J. Cameron Carter, Willie Jennings, Brian Bantam. <laughs> Get out of here! Like I found out about those guys yeah. because of Bonzo. Wow. So that really changed my world, and I started taking school way more seriously, and I started to see Hmm. how activism and academia actually can go together. Yeah. And then I tried to, you know, also live that out in seminary. Um, Seminary was, you know... (laughs) That's a whole different story. I You do an MDiv? I did an MDiv. This is the way that I put it. Okay. Cornerstone was like a white supremacist, you know, crazy ass institution. <laughs> like, you know, it's some there's some crazy shit happening there. <laughs> but yeah, they're conservative, right? Like, you know what you're going to. I eventually knew when I was 20, 21 years old, mm-hmm. like after being there, I was like, this is just some shit. Like, I know what I'm up against, whatever. I go to a seminary, a liberal seminary. Mm hmm. And I have to say that liberal racism is maybe the worst kind oh, of racism. Oh, yeah, I've said that on the show a whole bunch of times. Absolutely. So, you know, Absolutely. that was a way different experience. You know, all about diversity and multiculturalism and, um, <laughs> you know, and then in reality you have black and brown students who are feeling excluded or, you know, wanting to ask these really existential questions that yeah. are not necessarily allowed in class because they yeah. might be heretical. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. um, so yeah. yeah, but yeah, so I have, that's a, that's like a little bit of my faith journey. I don't know. I feel like I just talked for like 20 minutes. No, man. So, no, that but, is, that is perfect. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, cause it, I mean, you're right. Absolutely right. I mean, I think, uh, I recently had some issues with a colleague and this particular colleague, um, uh, I mean, I don't want to get too political, but it it was it was the questioning of my own um, credentials as a yeah you know. But this is from somebody you know who is you know I stand with her and you know right. Bernie twenty sixteen and yeah. you know and so that type of stuff drives me nuts, man. And I think yeah. the the it's it's almost like I can give the the non theological or spiritual or religious people kind of a pass but then when you add christianity on top of it right and these yeah. are like ccda going folks mm-hmm. and uh you know oh i this is one person at, at, at my school right now who's giving me a bunch of shit for um moving to oak park for those of you who don't know oak park is is really is is a uh, a subset i mean it, technically it's a village so it's really not even considered a suburb, but most people see it as a suburb, right? And literally, if you know where I live, I the Austin, the West Side neighborhood is right across the street. Like, it's real over there, trust me. <laughs> I spend a lot of time over there. So <laughs> Right, right. And my wife, we all work there. We do stay. We were in the Austin 5K this last weekend. I mean, so we're involved in the community. But 
All that to say, this person, she's white, you know, works out at one of the CCDA uh, organizations, mm. you know, and like she said it twice. It like she's and, and it was a side comment of, oh, wow, you know, you're living out there in Oak Park. You know, and the next comment was, and I was like, whatever. But the next comment came up me like, well, you know, we can't all sell out and go to the go the Oak Park. Oh, and she said it so I was just quick. talking about this yesterday with a friend. There you go. That this sort of like elitist, uh, like this elitist, almost like martyr complex that right. CCDA right. sometimes instills yeah, oh, yeah. in their like adherence this you know the way that i put it is sometimes you got these white ccda and for anybody who doesn't know what ccda is christian community development association yes and they have eight tenants and one of them is relocation yes yes that's one of the things that's really big to the sort of philosophy of ccda but one of the things that gets me is you have these white pastors who move into urban communities because you know they want to you know do ccda <laughs> right. and help the poor blacks and everything <laughs> yeah. they, they don't say it that way but it's like right you know, come on um but so you have these pastors do that <laughs> and then in a sense to their credit and then also in a sense to their damnation they go ahead and recruit black right. and brown people to you know be their staff what they don't <laughs> think about though in my opinion they don't think enough about it yeah is the is the toll that it will take on those black and brown people to move to urban environments their whiteness this is intersectionality their whiteness still offers them privileges that are completely negated when they are asking black and brown people right to move to and then you have them say these little things like this <laughs> right. woman is saying to you about right. how like well you know not all of us can sell out and move to oak park and you know <laughs> yeah 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 oak park's not a walk in the park either i mean you know literally bumping right up against austin so i mean uh, and that's just it man yeah. i mean and she wow. said it so quick and it was in a public space and so i mean i, I told myself i was like all right look Next time I'm I'm going and I ain't running her. She's in a completely different department and whatever. But you know when we have these little gatherings, it's just like these little digs. And I'm like, I'm fixing to call her out on this on yeah. this mess right now, man. But that's but that for me is that ideology right that exists that oh I've relocated because I'm just like look all right let's go to the hood let's see let's yeah, walk into any really. pick, you pick any hood and let's see who people can relate to let's go into a barbershop yeah and let's see who who knows the jokes more right but it's like this. This arrogance, I know. Past- it is. It's the liberal martyr complex of like you know. <laughs> You're right. It's and it's completely paternalistic even still because it. it's this idea it. of you know, I am doing such a good thing by moving in right. and li- and it's right. actually like no, few you're not because you're helping it gentrify. So <laughs> right, yeah. So thanks. Well, I mean, and I think that's right. That's the offset of it. It's like. We see now some of these communities that have been brought up right on this homegrown relocate. Okay, we go to go into the hood. And I ain't going to front. In my early career as, you know, as a touting Bible thumping evangelical, Mm -hmm. I used to be like, oh, we got to relocate into the city. But little I think that a lot of us even know that (laughs) the the effect that this was going to have. I mean, downtown Chicago doesn't look like downtown Chicago. And I'm not saying we should have 
pimps and, and, and ghettoization, <laughs> and, you know what I'm saying, to, for it to be hood. But I am saying that what happens to those people, then they get dislocated. Yeah, right. And, you know, it's like I had a family we were working with when we were living on the north side. Uh, lived right next door to us, African-American family. And they had to move there. I mean, they're out. They're almost dang near past Joliet now. Yeah. And and when you know, because uh, my daughter and their kids, you know, they're all friends and stuff. And so we had them over, and going there, seeing the amount of African Americans that are living in this, this was like a suburb, almost like an mm-hmm. exurb. But people are not even being able to afford rents, yeah. property prices. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you wanted to speak to that a little bit, just in some of the the shifts. I mean, you think about, for example, the Justice Conference. Mm. I've never been. You've never been? No. Oh, you got, I thought you were at this last one where everything just blew up, man. No, I've not ever been. Um, but, you know, I know a little bit about it. Like, you know, I think it's cool that Cornell West. I, I love Cornell West. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, but I don't know. I have friends who go to the Justice Conference, <laughs> and they've, specifically friends, when I, I say women people of color right and they are disturbed by some (laughs) you know like okay this is what i'll talk about maybe the commercialization of justice Mm -hmm. you know how it's become something that's like very marketable Mm -hmm. um and i think that that is perpetuated with conferences like you know the justice conference or even like ccda you know Mm -hmm. it's it is a set amount of time where all these people can get together and basically jerk one another off about how <laughs> awesome they are and, yes. you know, how what they're doing is yes. so great and how, you know, we're going to start a church to, you know, uh, you know, reclaim the city, you know. Right, and, right, right, right. And right. to me, you know, I just hear that type of stuff and I'm like, yeah, that's just like, you know, some shit. Uh, one of my favorite <laughs> Uh, religious study scholars Vincent Lloyd he mm. talks about he's at Villanova he talks about how you know real political theology and uh, you know you can think of political theology in the sense of like you know uh, when you think about uh, debt you know this is my favorite exercise but when you think about debt you have to think about debt in the sense of like not only financially, but you can also think about it simultaneously in like religious terms. Mm, and even here in the United States, the way that we see indebted people mm-hmm. is we see them as being in, uh, you know, need of grace, not only from the United States or like, you know, the sovereign, you know. Yeah. But also... Yeah they are in need of grace from God, you know, and that's the way that a lot of people, you know, you think about someone who's fallen on hard times, people will often say, oh, well, you know, that person probably did something, you know, to deserve that. Right. You know, and so then in a very real way, you have their material reality mirroring their, you know, um, religious life. And so that in and of itself is this act of political theology. But then political theology can also, you know, be done in, uh, very, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. is a political theologian. Yeah. Um, but so Vincent <laughs> Lloyd, he talks about how, you know, real justice, real change just comes from the mundane, just the regular hmm. everyday people. That's the what's struggle, up. 
in, you know, the mundane. And I think that what justice conferences do a lot of the time Mm -hmm. is they try and convince you that justice comes in the spectacular. That's a good point. Don't really think that that's true. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, because I know even early on when I was with Young Life and I would go to conferences like CCD or whatever. And again, I don't, here's the thing. I'm not knocking, if those of you who are listening, you know, it's like, oh man, they're ragging on CCD. Yeah. No, 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 no. no. I'm not. I'm not either. I mean. Yeah. I mean, they've done an amazing job in, in what, they're, what they've stood for. And I've pointed a lot of people, a lot of my students to CCDA. So I am not by any means. I do think, however, with that being said, I do think they have left a generation out. Mm-hmm. My generation, like, I feel like there was the old school, right? Um, uh, you know, the leadership, the current leadership right now, right? The 70s and 80s. Um, but then you had this next emerging leadership, kind of almost like Xers and like some millennials. And it was just like, I don't know what to do with these folks. Yeah. Eh, but this next, you know, here come the Gen Ys. But let's just hop on that. And so I think, you know, with that, going back to what you were talking about, in my in my young life days, I almost felt bad going to conferences like that because I was like, man, I'm not doing that. I'm not, you yeah. know, I'm not, you know, bringing 300 men out of the prison industrial complex and I'm yeah. changing this. And I met with the mayor and had this breakfast and we were on the television. I'm like, man, I'm not yeah. doing any of that mess. So, yeah, it can be, it can be a little, <laughs> it can be a little bit of like the ultimate guilt trip. Yeah. Which yeah, Christians absolutely. love, of course, making feel making people feel guilty for you know <laughs> not saving three hundred people or you know being gay. I mean, Christians love making people feel guilty. Oh so, yeah, oh yeah. You know. And so, in your experience, and then as you've gone through as a and now a a a, a how can I put it? I, 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 an enlightened brother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where you're at. I would almost say hardened. Hardened. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> that's a good point. No, absolutely. At least in the terms of like my Christian experience, like, you know, I've seen some shit. Like that's basically like the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And I mean, so how do you navigate the day to day then, man? I mean, we're in a nefarious uh, era right now. I mean, the president. Yes. Again, I know this is dating. The president, also the imperial wizard. Yes, right. <laughs> but I got to date them because there's so much stuff that's happening. I mean, and I don't think enough. Yeah. It's it's difficult for me, even as somebody who researches this stuff, to oh, keep yeah. up with. It's not even healthy to even keep up with it. Right. Either. Right. Well, right, right. I mean, that's that right. That's another thing. But, I mean, this weekend, so he's, you know, he's in Alabama, you know, talking about, you know, he's raising funds for this dude who... I wanted to get into this, so I'm glad you bring this okay. up. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, he's in Alabama. He's, he's you know, he, he's, first of all, the guy, he's, you know... Senator Strange, is that right? Strange. Yeah. Right? Dr. Strange. Dr. Strange. I mean... I mean, I mean, is this, I mean, does it get any worse than that, man? I mean, Doctor Strange, yeah. because this dude has said some amazing, just some crazy, outlandish shit. And so, anyway, yeah. so he's campaigning. He gets up there. I mean, you already know the speech. And those of you who haven't heard it, I, maybe I just post the link in the show notes. But because he's like, what is he like? You know, he calls them these sons of bitches or son yeah. of bitches. And hey, your thoughts on that? Because this is yeah, right off the hot of the press, talking about how basically the NFL players who are taking any are sons of bitches and they need to stand or the owners need to fire right. them. Right. Okay, so a few things. One, I'm a huge NFL fan. 
Love, I yes, love football. Yes, I mean we're sitting on a car. For those you can't see, I got a cowboy. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm actually here today, Dan, to talk to you about yes. how you need to stop being a Cowboys. Oh fan. man, well you that that owner man, America's he's, team, he's Dan. America's team. I know. I'm I'm having but, second thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I mean you know I love the NFL. Uh, I'm a huge Colts fan, Indianapolis Colts fan, and oh, yeah. that's because you know I yeah. grew up in Indiana when they were. You know, Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison, yeah. Reggie James, Reggie Wayne. There you, you go. Know. I can name, you know, I even remember the left tackle, Tariq Glenn. Uh, oh, you Tariq jumped too Glenn. much off sides, dude, but, like, I'll forgive you for that. Uh, That's right. That's false start right. really is what he was always doing. But, yeah, I mean, I love the NFL, um, but then something that I've always been disturbed by since I, you know, kind of – started to think more critically about uh, Christianity and America. I've always been disturbed by how it is a giant festival, basically. every. Well, I actually should talk about it this way. Every single NFL game is preceded by a liturgy of worship that centers the flag... Mm. And then more generally, a liturgy of the worship. United I like States that. of America. Uh, and the person who has really influenced my thinking on that, two people actually, Walter Brueggemann and Tell then it. also William Cavanaugh. Both of them talk a lot about civil religion. Both of them talk a lot about symbolism and liturgy. Okay. And I, I've really just been disturbed by how the NFL has become so closely aligned with not not simply patriotism yeah but the worship and and the uh, a certain liturgical practice yeah. centered around yeah nationalism and the flag and so you know i remember last season when colin kaepernick was taking a knee and just side note you know colin kaepernick you know his politics like i'm cool with him or whatever i think he should actually even go further but that's like a different topic yeah, yeah. i think he's a shit quarterback like, you know, now I think he's better than a lot of the quarterbacks that are on, you know, the team. But, you know, anyway. But so I remember last year Colin Kaepernick yeah. doing that. And I was like, that's cool. But like right. that dude right. is right. going to get an ass whooping. Right. Like, right. You know, um, and he had the afro too, man. The afro, you know, he might as well have been wearing a dashiki. Right. Like, right. I mean, it was and out ninjas. there like with <laughs> out there like with an M16. Like, so. Oh man, he was he was hella niggerish. Yeah, he, was, he really was. <laughs> so you know, it was like, yeah. I mean, it it was awesome to see it, but you know, I also think that it's definitely exposing this nefarious yeah. connection between <laughs> yes, yes. sports, right, and you know, nationalism. Absolutely. You know this 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 uh, just sort of mishmash of maybe quite possibly the worst parts of the United States. You know, and I think that we had a preview of this yeah. in the NFL's denial of CTE. Oh, man. You know, that right. is the denial of science. Right. Like, right. right there, boom. There you go. It's right. right. So, like, how we couldn't predict some of this shit that happened with the election, you know, you have the denial of science. You have the exclusion of... Uh, not exclusion, the demonization of an mm-hmm. African-American football player. Yeah. 
you have, uh, you know, this obsession with violence and, you know, and that's in me too. I mean, I'm not going to like sit here in front and be like, you know, uh, part of the reason that I watch the NFL is because it is indeed a cathartic experience. Absolutely. You know, and that's Absolutely. that's why you're watching it because you Absolutely. know you can't go out on the street and just punch somebody in the face. <laughs> so you want the Cowboys to just destroy the Giants because, you know, it's and I want the Colts to just destroy the Patriots because I hate fucking Tom Brady <laughs> and Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft. I hate those. Although, side note, man, side note. I mean, and I, I can't say I'm with you. I'm right there with you. I cannot stand Belichick. I think they're cheaters. I think they, you know, all that. Goes, but here's the thing, man. They came back. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. That was, that was going to say that's I, like that's I gonna, hate to say that, but know, let me let me tell you something. People <laughs> who want to try and argue that Tom Brady is not the greatest quarterback of all time, yeah, those people are just as idiotic <laughs> as people who try and argue that MJ, or, or rather that the people who are like no the, uh, Peyton Manning or what. And I love Peyton Manning. Like I love that dude. Yeah, but Peyton Manning's not better than Tom Brady. Yeah, LeBron James is not better than Michael Jordan. Like. Get over it. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to <laughs> right. tell those people, but... I know, man. No, I hate it. I hate I hate having to admit that. I know, I know. And that's... I didn't even watch the Super Bowl last year. Okay. Because right. this is the thing. I didn't watch Super Bowl. I was out with my girlfriend. We were eating some fried chicken somewhere. There you and go. And I had my sister. She uh, text messaged me, and she said, 21-3 Falcons. And I said, that's not enough. Like, right, right. I was like, that is not going to do the trick, but... Yeah, I mean, Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time, and that Super Bowl was the greatest Super Bowl of all time. Right. And and I hate saying that. I hate yeah. it. Yeah. Simply because they, yeah, I mean, it's just all the politics, all of that stuff. I mean, you know, Brady's interviewing. He's got to make America great. Oh, my, my back. I mean. And he's so, just a positive guy. Right. Just a positive <laughs> kind of guy. Ugh. I dreamt I actually met him. I was at I was doing some speaking and I event. Would have punched him in the face. Right, right, right. And that was I, I. I asked him the question. I was like, "How do you?" This is in my. Oh, dream. this is in your dream. This <laughs> is in my dream. <laughs> no. And, and I'm asking him the question. I was like, "How can you marry this idea of politics and and just be this good guy?" And I woke up right as he was about to just. He was opening his mouth, and I woke up. And I was oh, like, oh man. So, anyways, I'll, I'll yeah, but, but that's but, Trump's boy, right? No, I absolutely. think that. Actually, if Trump wanted anybody to pee on him, it would be Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I have, like, I want to Aside one day. his daughter. <laughs> no. Oh, too much, too soon? I'm oh, my gosh. Oh, man. I just, I want, I want Trump and Brady to just, like, you know, OD on meth. <laughs> And then for the paparazzi to like break in on the scene, right? And it's just the two of them in bed, naked, OD. That's right. That would be. That's America right there. That's right. You want to talk about that's, making America great again? Right. That'll make America great again. Oh man! Oh well, my goodness, man! I forgot our strain of thought. What we were doing before we got on. We were well. We were talking just about we, Trump. You know, saying all this. And, well, well yeah. I mean, I mean, I think I, some of the reason that he's saying this though is because he's jealous of the success that the NFL had, because he was not able to have this success when he started his own league. <laughs> so small, right. uh, yeah, small potatoes, thirty for thirty. Check it out. It's a documentary about how he, when he was the commissioner of, that, I forgot about. I that. can't remember what that league was that. called. Was it the AFL or well, something like that? Yeah, 
not I don't think it was the AFL. I think that's what the AFC was before it joined the NFC. But anyway, yeah. I think that part of the reason that he's doing this is because he has a small dick and he's insecure <laughs> about his well, own we, yeah, you we know, shortcomings with Yeah, we all know that, man. We are <laughs> we all know that. This brother. Um, but I mean, I think I mean, when I think about just the Trumpster and I think about the Trumpster. <laughs> man, I'm serious, man. This dude because, or the Goddard. Oh, jeez. I, I mean, when I think about the NFL, I mean, I think about just how much of this, and I don't know if you've seen some of this, but some of the things, that, one of the things that I've been thinking through, particularly within NFL, and this is, I've been troubled by the NFL for a long time now. Yeah. I mean, in its, it's regard. It's unfortunate. It is. I love it. it is, right. And that's, that's the thing. And I played football. I grew up, I mean, I mean, I, for those of you who know, I mean, I was born in Texas, regrettably, but I was born in Texas. <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, I played Friday night football. I mean, that was yeah. the thing. And so growing up as a defensive tackle, as a defensive end, and then in high school, you know, and then playing it. But what gets me is the binary thought that exists, particularly in sports, right? You put in your work, you tend to see results, and that's very close to some of the, well, a lot of the binary elementary forms of religion, particularly Christianity, right? Yeah, kind of stay in your lane you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Like, don't talk about things outside of, yeah. Right. And so, I mean, the, the disturbance for me was that, I mean, of course, you know, I would always see like George Bush Sr. and George Bush you know, Jr. coming and hanging out with, you know, different sportscasters and announcers mm-hmm. and everything. And I'm always just like, uh, you can't just be hanging out and thinking, you know, that, you know, Black Lives Matter, you know, no. <laughs> so no, you, no, just, no. you can't. No. So I'm wondering just with you in that connection, I mean, how do you particularly now, you know, you've got a whole bunch of people saying, you know, we got to. Uh, boycott the NFL, not watching yeah, games. I no, mean, how- I'm I'm glad you're talking to me about this, man. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. So I mean, I'm gonna keep it real. I'm trying not to watch the NFL this season, um, but I basically have a bunch of reasons for doing that. But I'm gonna be real and say the biggest reason is that my team is shit, <laughs> the Colts. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, Andrew Luck. I don't know what's going on with him. Shoulders, <laughs> I don't know. And then also, you can talk all you want about how crazy Jerry Jones is, but Jim Ursay, that dude oh, that's is true. a mother. That's, that's, Honestly, that's that no, guy's that's just... That's true. I'll trade you. I hate Jerry Jones. I hate Jerry Jones. I'll trade you. If I'll trade you Jim Ursay if you trade me Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones. Man, for real? Yeah, like... Jim Irsay, dude. Jim Irsay got caught like with oxycotton in his like you know million dollar car. Yeah, Yeah. you know. So, (laughs) but basically, uh, yeah, I'm not watching the NFL this season. You know, my team shit. But then I'm also not watching it just because, you know, I do think that the civil religion around it is extremely toxic. How it's you know glorifying you know, this nationalism and also, yeah. you know, it's also like this weird, you know, sort of like toxic masculinity about oh, how, you know, players, you know, they don't play like they did in my age. Yeah, that's because, right. you know, we don't all want to be crazy like you who elect, you know, a white supremacist because you can't think straight. Like, right. you know, right. um, but then, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not doing it, you know, just because of things surrounding CTE. Um, and, and Walter Brueggemann, again, actually says, you know, his big thing is sort of Sabbath as resistance. Hmm. Not this idea hmm. of, you know, taking a Sabbath because you, 
you know, our lazy ass. But he wants to reclaim kind of this Jewish idea of Sabbath, and he's been really influenced by Abraham Joshua Heschel. This idea that we rest in order to resist Pharaoh. And so one of the things that uh, Pharaoh really did not want the Israelites to do was Mm. to go out into the wilderness and worship. But he didn't want them to do that not because he's afraid of spirituality. He didn't want them to do that because it would mean that they would stop working in the brickyards. And so Brueggemann says in the same way, you know, that the Israelites went out to worship, went out from Pharaoh to worship to, you know, take a Sabbath. um, People in the United States need to figure out what it means to get outside sort of these systems of mm-hmm. oppression, these systems that tell us, you know, we have to work, we have to consume, we have right, to. Right. And his big thing is like one of the best ways to do that is to stop watching the NFL. Um, and he's an NFL fan. He's a Cleveland Browns fan uh, for some reason. Like I can't, I don't, yeah, I think he's also a Nebraska fan, Nebraska <laughs> football too. Yeah, yeah. But um, he thinks that's one of the biggest ways to sort of resist the consumerist, civil religion national patriarchy yeah you know thing yeah. that's going on so um i'm trying to do that i'm not doing a great job at it and now i'm kind of conflicted right because trump says don't watch it and now i want to watch right, it right in order yeah, right, to, right 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 in right. order to spite him <laughs> kind of like, but yes. you know j cole had a great thing the other day on twitter just mm. um about how you know black people should stop watching the nfl and I was like, okay, you know. So if anybody asks me, and if ratings go down, and they surely will, um, and Trump's like, see, you know, I did that, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to be like, Brueggemann said that before you. <laughs> right. And then J. Right. Cole <laughs> said it, and then Colin Kaepernick actually did something about it. So shut up. But <laughs> Right. So, yeah, so I'm conflicted about it. I still check NFL scores. Yeah. I check out ESPN almost every day. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm trying no, I mean, and here's the thing. I, I love your reasoning. I mean, because I think I'm in the same ball camp as you. I mean, I I have been conflicted with the NFL for, like I said, long before Kaepernick took this knee. I yeah. mean, I'm, you're hearing yeah. things. You're seeing. I mean, I remember when Tim Tebow was playing. Oh, my gosh. Tim he, Tebow, the most right. overrated quarterback of all time. I know. Because Christians were getting big boners about him right. because he was, you know. Right. Right. T-bowing or whatever. Oh, man. Right. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, just be, and not even that. I mean, and I haven't even gotten into the, like the NBA, you know, when you think about, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, but anyways, let's stick with the NFL. So the NFL, I mean, just the racism that has happened. I mean, the amount of how particularly black men have been used. I mean, you think about it, it's it is a very, like you just said, a hyper masculine approach mm-hmm. when you have cheerleaders on the side. And yeah. I, and I think this generation when I say this generation, I would definitely say those born after 9-11. Yeah. Um, I, I think the NFL, is, its days are numbered. Mm. The Mm-mm-mm. the reality of it is that we're already starting to see the numbers drop in, in junior peewee yeah, football. Yeah, participation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, even if you look up in the stands, because I ain't going to front. I am not going to front and sit here and lie to you. I've been trying to do that, but I haven't done a good job. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame me. So, They're playing night. I know, man. I know. And it's... Tonight's a fresh start. You can do it. <laughs> it's a fresh start. All right, I feel like I'm cheating on food oh, or something like that, man. It's like porn now. Yeah. Man. It's like you can't even watch the NFL anymore. Like, geez. Your team's good, though, too. So. Oh, man. I know. But Ezekiel I... Elliott, he's a little bit of a problem. Well, child. that's just it. I mean, it's just like even while we're doing this, it's like... 
Ezekiel Elliott pops up on the, you know, and so it's like you hear all these things, right, of the players abusing wives, abuse, you know, it's yeah. like so problematically, I think, like I said, I can't front. I mean, I've been trying to do it good, but then I'm a realist and I'm like, okay, but if I'm going to check scores, what's it? This goes back to my Adventist roots of when people used to be like, oh, you got to take a Sabbath. And it wasn't what you just described perfectly as the Sabbath. It was a Sabbath because it was legalistic and this no, is what yeah. God wants and this is what you got to yeah. do. And so, um, but it would get down to the minuscule stuff. It's like, okay, the sun sets at 6.04. So it's 6.05, we're going to go to Blockbuster Video, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> or at 6.03, we can start making our way over there. So right. I don't know, man. I, I struggle with that. And and I'm very conflicted because you're right. I mean, I think this era just, it produces a sense of, it produces a sense of, of awareness, at least for those of us who read and try to be conscious about stuff. It, it, yeah. it, it produces a sense of, of awareness towards the market and, and consumerism that exists um, and just it's capitalism just right gone awry. I mean, butts in the seats, yeah. money, fandom. Yeah, I mean, you got to be kidding yourself if you think after this year, win ratings are down, blah, 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 blah. You know, Roger Goodell, he tried to come out with, you know, a statement that that was about as. I want to try and give him credit and be like, <laughs> it was more than most other people have done. OK, yeah, basically because he was like, you know talking about how the statements that were made were divisive and, you know. Um, but you got to be joking yourself if you think at the end of this year there's not going to be some consequence right. Right. for players who do take right. knees. I mean, I the way that I'm thinking about it is I can imagine it being written in contracts that, you know, you know, we expect you to participate in, you know, the national anthem in such and such yeah. a way. Yeah. Um, I can imagine that happening. Um, I, don't, I, I can't imagine Roger Goodell because I think he is a little bit sneakier than Trump. I can't imagine Roger Goodell just being like, and if you take a knee, you know, you're fired. Like, I, I don't think that's right. going to happen. Right. But there will be some consequences. Absolutely. You know, and this is, this is the thing that's like blowing my mind that I'm trying to deconstruct and think about right now ratings are going to go down i know i've said that about like 10 times but ratings are going to go down <laughs> yeah yeah but it's going to be because it's not going to be because of trump right like that's how the media might portray it yeah. and that might be the people people the media flocks to like the white you know uh buffalo fan who's like you know <laughs> right pissed because one his team sucks but then also pissed because people are you know not uh you know singing the national anthem and you know yeah so there's going to be that person but this started as a movement by by black people for black people right but the capitulation will be will come because of white people does that make sense what yeah, i'm saying absolutely man absolutely so so it's not going roger goodell's not going to say he's not going to come out at the end of this and say you know um and 10% of NFL proceeds, that'd be a lot. 1% of NFL proceeds are going to go to Black Lives Matter. He's not going to do that. <laughs> He's going to make it so that it appeases Absolutely. The, the white yes. people, yes. people who believe themselves to be white, in, in, the, in the country. And that is the thing that's like really messing with my mind about how basically this has been co-opted. Absolutely. You know, I, I think in a sense it's a smart move by Trump and his cronies to 
say, oh, you know, don't watch the NFL because, you know, they're not paying respect to, you know, the flag. Because I think that basically what he's picked up on is ratings are going down, but that's not because people are upset that the flag's not being respected. That's because people are upset that people like Colin Kaepernick are not being respected. Um, And he's now turning that, Mm -hmm. pivoting that, to himself and his own political agenda. That way at the end of four years when it's like, you know, he didn't get rid of Obamacare, he didn't... uh, make Christianity the national religion. He didn't, uh, you know, stop the gays from getting married. That way he can point to something, you know, physical and be like, oh, I did make a difference on this. Right. No, absolutely. That's like something that I've really been thinking about over the past few days. And I've also been thinking about just the hypocrisy of Christian evangelicals. Come on. Who said that one of the biggest reasons that they voted for Trump. Mm Mm-hmm was because he respected the Constitution and they were specifically worried about their First Amendment rights, right? (laughs) I know, I know. So then you have a situation Mm -hmm. where people in the NFL Mm -hmm. are exercising their First Amendment rights peacefully and you have these people, the same people who voted for Trump because they love the Constitution and they love the First Amendment. You have these people saying, Mm -hmm. yeah, well, those people should be fired for exercising the very thing that they wanted to protect. And that, to me, is just insane. And, I mean, it is a, like, perfect example of just how toxic the civil religion is. Because it's not simply to, to take a knee to do warm-ups while the national anthems, you know, playing. It's not simply a, like, affront to those people personally. Yeah. But it is a affront to the God of America, God Little G. Right. And, you know, to me, that's really interesting. Well, I mean, man, see, I could keep going on that. I'm looking at it. At the time now, man. But I mean, I, yes. I mean, to to come back on what you're talking about, I because there's so much wrapped up in that, right? I mean, when yeah. you think about, like you said, just the. I mean, I think about evangelicals, white evangelicals, and I've I've said this a lot on the show. I mean, this is, I opened up this whole podcast on you know of, of this is this is one of one of the genesis. I mean, I knew Trump was going to be elected. I mean, a year ago. I mean, yeah. I think it was like June. I was like, oh, he's going to yep. be elected. That was the same time that I figured it out too. I was like, he's when he, he won the ticket, right? Right. It was like, okay. It's downhill from here. <laughs> yeah. Like, if he had got, you know, it was like, if there was something, but I was like, no, he's he's, he's going to win. Um, but I think what got me is is my challenge with all this was, wasn't the surprise that he won, but was the amount of white evangelicals, right, that voted for him. Yeah. And then dug their heels in about it. Yep. Still digging their heels still, in about it. Still. Still. And so for me, I'm just like, and this is a conversation I had with, you know, Dr. Sungchan Ra. Yeah. Uh, awesome. A lot Shout of, out. Oh man, absolutely! I got to get him on the show too, man. Is that that brother's? He's yeah. man. He's he's on a different level. He's on a different level, man. He's, that brother's in the million mile club, man. Yeah, for, for the uh, the the airlines, and he's always traveling somewhere, man. Yeah, like, he is. <laughs> he is always. Yeah, I'm surprised they probably got his name on a plane somewhere, man. They should. But my point being is, is that I I've spent the better part of my career, and this is even when I was with Young Life, uh, and you know, back in evangelical ministry, right? Um, trying to educate white people. Yeah. 
and spending time and, and doing these things. And so for me, oh, yeah. I was, I was, it was almost like I was heartbroken. It's like, it's like, it's not only that you find out that your partner is, is, is sleeping on you, but then you find out, it's like, man, this stuff's been going on and for a long a time, a long time to and your like, face, to my face. And like you just you rust in and you, I mean and it's not even that man but you got pictures you got videos yep. you got, it's you like got it all. brutal and so I'm thinking to myself I'm struggling because I'm like what was all the work that we were doing yeah. what was all that you know and, and I'm telling students like I know I don't just know. sit there and you know just you know and, and just work with somebody and over time their hearts will change and then for folks to go out and vote for this this dude and then justify it big time. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. And that's for me why I was just like, all right, I'm done. I'm done. I don't want any 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 connection with evangelicalism. And I don't want any, yeah. any label. You know, I was already, I, well, I had a toe on the fence. I was like, well, you know. Maves. Yeah. I'm done. No, I mean, me too. I mean, you know, I I can't get down with evangelicalism. Um and it probably doesn't help though either that I've been reading people like Kelly Brown Douglas or <laughs> right, Towns right. or uh, you know again someone like Walter Brueggemann. Those people yeah. are not. I know. I know. Part of the yeah. Evangelical circle. Uh, Walter Brueggemann is you know ordained in the United Church of Christ, which is like probably the bane of evangelicalism to some extent. So yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I think I stopped being an evangelical probably when I was when I was in college. Um, okay. I just saw the I just saw how it was more of an ideology mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than it was a expression of the Christian faith. Yeah. And yeah, that to me was extremely disturbing. Um and I kind of found my way out of it mm-hmm. by reading people like Oscar Romero, um, by reading people like, you know, Jürgen Moltmann. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, so, but there are good people in evangelicalism too. You know, someone like Sung Chan Ra. Of course. Uh, you know, he's kind of the only example that I have. <laughs> well, but, I had a guy on here. I mean, J.R. Farsteros, who uh, I, we had an episode on here. He's, Still considers himself an evangelical, and he said he's white, and he said he said as he said I can definitely see you know persons of color ethnic minorities leaving because it's yeah of course you yeah. should, but he said as white folks he said I can't bail he said I feel like there is a you know for him he feels like there is a sense of, and I feel like he's somebody who gets it and he understands a lot of the stuff of yeah. intersectionality and gender and I and he thinks very interestingly enough for those of you wondering there's a couple episodes back you can check this out, but uh, it, you know so he felt like he couldn't leave because of this right and so yeah. i don't know i'm just in a different space than and i'm not saying different space than jr i mean i agree i'm glad he's there and i'm glad folks like you said like soon chan ra are there Ephraim yeah. smith i think is still yep. kind of in that in that environment so i don't knock folks there's still some great people but i'm still troubled by the mantra and you know i'm not i'm not blown away that you know the school i'm at I, I, that i'm sure there are people who give to that school who also give to trump yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. I know. I uh, mean, there are people in my extended family, you know, on my white side, who voted for Trump, mm-hmm. and I have not talked to them. Well, I have spoken with them in very 
pointed exact right terms right um but you know i've not uh been in the flesh with them since at least you know november um and i don't know when or how that's going to change um, right but yeah yeah i mean it's it's a mess out there right now man um and i think it's especially difficult for people of color um trying to figure out where their voice is and definitely right. feeling like you said exhausted and wondering whether or not the conversations that they've had for so many years with people have made any type of a difference right um, you know i i can speak for myself and say i do not feel like they've made you know no I people know. who yeah. are my family yeah who I have spoken with and lived with, you know, they're voting for someone who is endorsed by the KKK. Yeah. Right. So, you know. Exactly. And, you know, I didn't think I would have to wait 26 years to find out who, you know, I think Denny Green said it best. The Bears are who we thought they were. (laughs) And we let them (laughs) off the hook, you know. Um, Right. And I think that's kind of the same thing right now for... Yeah. Evangelicals, friends, family, you know, yeah. other folks. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens, obviously, for the remainder of Trump's presidency. And people who are kidding themselves and thinking that this is only going to be a four-year thing. Right. Like, wake up, y'all. Right. Like, I just want to say that if you don't hear anything else on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Wake up. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, maybe Trump won't you know, run a second term. I think he will. I'm saying Absolutely that right now. Absolutely. But will. okay, forget Trump. Pence, his little, like that dude's going to be trying to do stuff <laughs> yes. too in the future. We still right. got Paul Ryan. We got, you know, some crazy folks like Richard Spencer. Who knows what that dude's going to be doing. And, right. And also Ted Cruz is still the devil. <laughs> right. Like, right. you know, so... Well, yeah, we're Bannon, in a situation. Ban is still out there. I mean, that's yeah. why exactly. And that's what I tell people. People are like, oh, impeach him, impeach him. I'm like, yeah, we're okay, not going to so go. What? Right. We're not going to go back to lilies and daisies. No. Even and as a black man, I don't know when that what lilies yeah. and daisies was in this country, but it's not going to be business as usual. And I mean, no, like, never you, again. It's never going to be able to. No. And so you're right. I mean, so that's for me forging forward. It's like, what do we do moving forward? Because this is now the new norm. I mean, yeah. I can only imagine what's coming behind Trump. Like, if the GOP is like, oh, my gosh, like, we can do, we can say that. Well, I mean, it's like when somebody was saying about, like, Chris Christie, they were like, Chris Christie just wasn't bash, you know, he just wasn't brashful enough. He just, he he wasn't, you know, he's like, you know, he kind of had that hard corner, but Trump just just dominated that, right? You know? he really did. Oh, man. So, yeah. So, those those are some things I wrestle with. Yeah, teaching an intercultural communication class with yeah. Gen Wires who are like, "Oh, let's go save the world, and let's go protest out in Flint, and let's go uh, to the, you know." Yeah, it's like, it's right. like, do you feel like people are listening to you? But, you know, uh, it's a it's a hard question. It's a question that I'm wrestling with. Uh, but you gotta do something. It's kind of yeah, my yeah. You know, and again, that kind of comes back to what I'm saying. Just even just in the mundane, everyday things, if you can do justice there, then you know that's a start. No, um, I'm I'm with you. You got to resist little by little. Exactly. You know, maybe 
you know, find some people who've been affected by DACA. And, you know, Absolutely. I'm not going to say what I want to say, but I'm going to say help them out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... Oh, yeah, man. but and that's not to minimize policy or systemic change. I don't want people. To no, absolutely. That, but you know, I think my big thing is I think it's time to give up on white evangelical Christians. I I would agree. I and would agree. I think that what we need to start doing, and why we've not been doing this, I don't know, but we need to start trying to help the people who have been hurt by them, and not trying to like, you know convince them to uh you know join the team you know we're all in this together hashtag high school musical no that's some (laughs) bullshit so yeah yeah man i mean yes i I mean yeah i mean i i couldn't say that well i mean and that's for me is exactly where i'm at i'm i am trying to do micro i've turned more to the micro because i feel Mm -hmm. like I don't know. I mean, I was I shown the color of fear to a group of students. Have you seen that before, right? I've not. Oh my my goodness! I well, you know it's like you know the documentary on intercultural okay race color stuff, of man. fear color All of right. fear yeah 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 and you know it's about check that out. I mean it's male dominated, but it, you know it gets at the issues that we're still dealing with right now. So there's one white guy who's just like, well, why can't we just be American? Why can't we just be yeah. you know and just you know it's it's the colored people's thing and this and this mm-hmm. and that. So okay, and he kind of represents a lot of white people's opinion right and sure um excuse me so i you know i showed it to a class and one of my latinx students were like because i always tell them look at the copyright date 1993 1993 yeah. gosh what a, what advancements have we made since 1993 yeah i mean you know. it's incredible and that's you know 1993 that's when clinton is president right yeah 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 I first mean, year of president very first full year of presidency yeah and so the fact that and so the students asked straight up she was like um why why hasn't anything changed mm-hmm. i was like there we go that's this that is the questions i think we got to be asking ourselves right yeah. like what because this was right after the uprisings for me this was what 93 so 92 april 29th 1992 i mean you know we're thinking we're making a yeah. difference and going to making this and we're still dealing with police brutality we're still dealing with yeah, police terrorism Rodney king and yeah and Rodney king didn't even die i mean he's unfortunately he's, he's passed away now but yeah. he didn't even die in that right he just got beat down yep no but i mean it was still powerful one right. of the best books i've ever this is actually the best book i've ever read when it comes to policy activism and research all right is a book by kinga yamada taylor oh yeah 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 from yeah, black yeah. lives matter to oh. black liberation and and yeah. she's like a really fun person actually um seen her speak a few times. I saw her speak with Michelle Alexander and Naomi Klein. Oh, man. Um, wow. And she is like a preacher. She is. She is. She's you got know? a TEDx talk, too. Yeah, I, I love listening to her. But her book is great. And for anybody who's listening to this right now and they're like, oh, man, Josiah is just a big, wet liberal, you know, who <laughs> hates uh, white people and only votes Democrat. Oh, well, man. let me tell you right now, that book is just an assault on liberals and Democrats. Absolutely. And she has no love for Republicans. I mean, don't get me right, wrong. But right. th- her book is coming from a much more leftist perspective. Right. But the things that I love about leftists is they actually give a shit about history. Yeah. And uh, her book is great. I mean, talks about the uprisings, talks about Clinton, yep. 
talks about black faces in high places yes. and how just because you've got a black mayor doesn't mean that you don't have some anti-blackness exactly. bullshit going on. So check that book out. If yes. there's one book that you're going to get <laughs> right. at the at the end of this, mm-hmm. get that book. It's great. I use it in my um, my Black Lives Matter course. Man. Oh, do you? Yeah, okay, it was required good. reading. So, yeah, good. sociologist, she's, she's off the chain, man. Yeah, at Princeton... Yeah, smart, smart ass, like exactly a Northwestern grad, actually. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I want. I think she may be from Chicago. I don't know, uh, but she's right. accessible on Twitter too. I've tweeted at her a few times. No, that's so. cool. No, that's yeah. cool. Well, listen, man, I have appreciated this conversation, brother. It's, it's been fun. This has been good. We've talked about all kinds of shit. We have. We've covered the gamut, man. Yeah. This <laughs> is good. Covered the gamut. So, um, where can people find you? Where Where are you at? Are you Are you tweeting, blogging, oh my podcasting? Gosh. What's going yeah. on? Yeah, uh, I have gone into a bit of a reclusive state when it has come to social media, and you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you can look me up on Facebook, Josiah R. Daniels. It's a picture of me and my brother at a beer festival, <laughs> um, and then you can find me on Twitter too. Uh, I think it's I think it's Josiah underscore R Daniels. Okay. Um, you can you can tweet at me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and then I write, I blog. Um, maybe the thing that I've enjoyed writing the most was for Religion Dispatches on Kendrick Lamar. Yeah, yeah, that's how that's how you and I came. Yeah, that is how we connected. Yeah. So um, you can look up that. And I'll put these in the show notes. Read that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know. I'm staying off social media in part just because, you know, one day you have a police shooting, the next day you have an earthquake in Mexico. Right. And yeah. just psychologically, the human mind is not built to handle that tra- that much tragedy. So, you know, but I would love for people to try and get in touch with me, ask me some questions, send me some hate mail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm open for all of it. So. <laughs> <laughs> They're out there, man. They're out there. Oh, I know they are. <laughs> oh, man. Well, brother, thank you so much yeah, for dude. coming. On this, yeah, this, this is, is awesome. Great. We're going, we, awesome. we'll do it again. We'll do okay. it again. Like I'm Good. telling Mosey, we'll, we'll have you back. <laughs> Good. Good. Cool. Well, thank you, brother. All right. All right. <laughs> Yo, what did I tell you? <laughs> did we go in or what? Did we? Oh, yo, man, dang. Well, look, I know this episode is running a little longer than normal, um, but I just I wanted to just kind of capture a few things here um, after that conversation. Because um, as I was editing it, I was, you know, I went through you know the first round and tried to take out all the F-bombs. There were a few shits and asses and whatnot. Here, let me comment on that. I mean, I think I get that all of us don't have the same understanding and rationale with language. I get that. I get that language is a big thing. I get that lang. I mean, I get that words like nigga and the c word and the b word for for, for women. Though there there is there are some infix values that are assigned to those to those words, right? Um, I get that. I, I get that not all language is that. I get there's appropriate time and space. But here's the thing: oftentimes the people policing, you know, language like this don't really have a clue of really the the history of language number one number two 
these are folks who want to enforce some type of boundary around this, right? These are the same folks that talk about, oh, nonviolence, nonviolence, nonviolence. You black people should forgive, you know, your people who've wronged you. But then the minute ISIS shows up or the minute, you know, some neck, the next Osama bin Laden shows up, then it's like, we got to kill them all. We got to cut their heads off and like blow them up. Right, it's this double conundrum that exists, and so for language, and I know you should have been maybe making too much of a stretch with language and you know and violence, but it's it's that it's that engagement, right? That okay, what makes you so uncomfortable about the F word aside from what we've assigned it to be? But what makes you so uncomfortable? What makes you so uncomfortable about that? Because I talk in, in La Lengua Franca with my daughter, I, I really do. You know, I really engage, you know, the, you know, the life with her in that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, now don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not cursing at her. I don't swear at her, but I do use strong language about things like black bodies getting killed in the street. And then an officer getting, you know, getting forgiven for that. I mean, what do we, right? I mean, as a parent, what do I tell my daughter who, if she does something wrong, I, we're going to, we're going to engage that we're going to, we're there's, there's punishment for that. Right. There is there are consequences. Let me put it to the app. I'm using kind of modernity language when I talk about punishment, but there's there are consequences for that. So if I see somebody now, she sees somebody on the television shooting another person, and then um that person gets away with it. I mean, what I mean, what do you do with that, right? I mean, so kids are watching. The kids are watching. And it is an interesting dilemma, right? Just dealing with that and dealing and then and then try to put nice language around that. This is my problem with people who always want to see the roses and the prettiness of, of, of things. Um, is that it can't always be that. Now I get, okay, I get that it can't always be woe is me and it, you know, you know, you can be sad and all this stuff like that. But when that day comes and there's equity, not equality, but there's equity, I will be the first to be like, all right, let's celebrate it. But until that day comes, man, there is a sense of like, man, and especially in the era that we find ourselves in, there is a sense of urgency like never before, at least in my lifetime. I mean, those of you who have lived through the civil rights movement and those of you who are older, who lived through the 50s and the 40s and the Jim and Jane Crow laws, maybe you have a different perspective. Well, I know you have a different perspective. But what do we do in 2017, right, with where you have the full access of social media that is that is beholden to uh, somebody like a Trump? What do you do when you when 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 this is this is the type of person, right, or this is this ideology that is that is in office that is facing you, that is that is coming at you on a daily, not even just weekly. I mean, honestly, Trump makes Reagan and both Bush presidencies look like left wing, just far out liberals. I mean, at least there was some negotiating, right? Even 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 Reagan invited Michael Jackson to the White House, right? So I don't know, man. I mean, we just find ourselves in a time. And so, you know, I'm thankful for this podcast. I'm thankful for my listeners. I'm thankful for the folks who are subscribing because I think we're trying to figure this thing out and we're trying to figure it out together. And so this conversation with Josiah was just that. There are no answers just yet. I like what Josiah said, but you got to keep got to keep doing something. You got to keep moving forward. I don't want to be the person that just shrivels up in the corner and just says, oh, my gosh, it's too overwhelming. Don't get me wrong. I have those days, but they're just that. They're days. They're moments. We have to keep pushing forward. And I think for me, 
there is a sense of moving away from white evangelicalism and really investing in my black and brown communities. Now, I know that's kind of a, you know, that's a statement, right? It's like, whoa, what do you mean by that? It means exactly what I mean. It means that I don't think there are, that while there are people within uh, uh, white evangelicalism that I love, one of my man, my man, J.R. Forsteros, right? Who's, 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 who's a, a white evangelical. I think the movement in general for me, is is dead is, is there, there's there's no way for me to recover that there's no way for me to go back and engage and say oh yeah there's some no i'm done let me move forward let me strive to move forward and create something new we can take elements of that we can bring elements of evangelicalism in absolutely but for me to say and to go back okay now i want to be identified as an evangelical christian absolutely not i'm done i'm done um, and I need to focus more on my community, on black and brown communities, working with allies, helping them figure out how to engage, you know, and like the conversation I had with JR Forsteros. And if you haven't seen you know, heard that conversation again, it's on, it, it, it's here on the podcast, check it out. But, you know, it, it, it's engaging with that and walking with folks who want to be allies and really create a strong group of allies. That's where I see my mission. That's where I see my cross being taken up, you know, trying to be this bridge builder and all that stuff. Like, look, man, a lot of white folks don't want to be the, have to be the bridge builder. They want you to come all the way over to their side and then have the nerve to criticize you and tell you what you should be thinking, how you should act, and especially what you should say. Nah, I ain't having that no more. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Doesn't mean I'm done with organizations like World Impact or, or, or I mean, World Vision, excuse me, um, or, you know, school I work for. Doesn't mean I'm completely done with that. I'm just done with the ideological structure of what is white evangelicalism. Um, so we got to contend with that. <laughs> and I know I ain't the only one thinking this. I know I ain't the only one thinking this. So you out there, chime in, holla back. Let's get this conversation going. I think there's some smart folks out there. And so... Um, once again, we're on iTunes, we're on Google, subscribe, like, uh, go to whitehodgepodcast.com. I need to put up some more blogs, so I'm going to be putting up some more essays up there as well. Um, probably lean a little bit more academic, but you know, you'll get the picture. You guys aren't dumb. <laughs> you guys have brains. You can figure stuff out. Um, so go and check it out. Whitehodgepodcast.com. I'm going to put, um, all of Josiah's, um, links and I'll put some extra links in the show notes as well. You can get those show notes. If you listen to this on iTunes. Um, you can get those show notes at whitehodgepodcasts.com. And so check us out, come subscribe and let's continue having this very, very important conversation at this at this time and place in our society cool until we connect again y'all peace keep it going keep hope alive and keep resisting